everyone. My name is Robert Moore. I'm an M&A partner at Herbert Smith Freehills in London. And my name's Rebecca Maslin-Stanage, and I'm an M&A partner here in Sydney. Great. So welcome to the latest episode in our podcast series, where we are looking at M&A in 2020. We published our 2020 Global M&A report at the beginning of January. Hopefully you will have seen it and even better, hopefully read it. But if not, you can find it on our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com. The report looks at four themes we expect to feature in deal-making this year. Environmental, social and government issues, ESG, the current hot topic, public or private bids, political intervention, M&A and deal disruption. We are doing a podcast on each of these themes and today Rebecca and I are going to be talking about public to private or take private bids and the return of financial buyers to the public markets. This is something we are seeing in the UK and Australia in particular. But first, Rebecca, do you just want to explain briefly what we mean by that? Sure, Bob. So what we're seeing is is private equity houses and other financial buyers taking on public targets. So they're bidding for companies whose shares are listed or traded on a stock exchange. For a few years now, the volumes of that type of bid have been quite a bit lower. So it's been interesting to see that now we're seeing these private equity firms and other financial buyers, rather than your more classic trading companies, returning to the public markets and bidding for public companies. It's actually particularly interesting because financial buyers face additional challenges on conventional wisdom on a public M&A transaction, which they wouldn't encounter on a private deal. And so often that has been viewed as a deterrent to PE houses undertaking public M&A. They'd rather have the safety of the private sphere. So, Bob, what are you seeing as the reasons behind their return now to the public markets? Well, speaking to market participants, generally I think it's largely because financial buyers are seeing greater value in public equity markets, which they see as being comparatively underpriced. Also, there is a growing perception that private auctions are overcrowded and don't actually offer value for money. In the eyes of PE investors, there are few high-quality privately held assets available, and those that do exist are often subject to competitive auction processes, which often lead to perceived inflated valuations. Indeed, these processes actually typically favour trade buyers who are firstly under greater pressure to make acquisitions because of their need to increase revenue and and, and often expand geographic footprint, but also because trade buyers, because of the generally the synergies that they're able to deliver, they can often pay higher multiples. Also, Rebecca, as you said, financial buyers were often perceived to be deterred from public deals, um, a number of reasons, including publicity surrounding the deals, particularly if, if a bid fails. And of course, wasted costs as well. But the value that they're currently seeing in public markets seems at the moment, at least, to to be outweighing those perceived disadvantages. I think you're right, Bob. We're seeing a lot of those same themes here in Australia. And as well as an increase in the volume of the public to private bids, we're also seeing an increase in the value of what they're prepared to take on in the space. 
I think that's partly because they've had a while to amass plenty of dry powder, so they've got the funds to invest, having had a bit of a quieter period in acquisition activity. And we're also seeing them and other infrastructure teams teaming up in consortium or club deals so they can boost their combined financial firepower. If they club together, they can take on targets that might have seen out of reach for them individually and share both the potential for greater upside and also, of course, manage the risk that way. It's also worth bearing in mind that financial buyers do have an advantage over trade buyers in in one area and that's their typical investment periods mean that they can take a longer term view on macroeconomic factors. Buyers who are themselves listed on public markets can be under pressure to perform and demonstrate almost immediate returns on M&A whereas P houses can have a little bit more breathing space. Yep that's right. Um, I guess uh, that's not to say though that there still aren't challenges for financial buyers. Um, for instance, they must deal with greater levels of regulation and scrutiny on a public deal, particularly around cost savings and financing arrangements, which often may have to indeed be disclosed. I suppose added to that, they may well want to retain some or uh, all of the target's management team and so then will have to navigate around the rules regarding management incentivization so that indeed any arrangements they make to retain or incentivize the management team going forward again may have to be disclosed or even potentially approved by shareholders as part of the approval process for the transaction. And of course, I suppose the rules around secrecy on a public deal also very often make it harder to line up the management team and finance providers or, or even for larger club deals, um, a consortium in the first place. I suppose, particular to the UK as well, you have to now add that break fees and other offer-related arrangements, which could protect the bid, are no longer permitted. So break fees, work fees, other deal protection measures such as exclusivity arrangements, which of course used to feature on pretty much every P bid prior to the UK takeover code being amended in 2011, are of course now prohibited. And then I suppose the fact that they're no longer permitted um, does mean that a bidder in the UK is more exposed to the risk of a deal failing and, of course, wasted costs if indeed it does fail. However, I suppose, as we have said in the current environment at least, these are clearly not seen as being such a disadvantage that PE firms won't, won't indeed engage in public M&A. That's really interesting. I mean, we've still got flexibility in Australia around break fees, but we've seen some other more bespoke regulatory challenges here. So PE houses have been structuring quite creative stub equity deals where they will set up an SPV to do the bid and offer shareholders the opportunity to participate in them. But our regulators haven't liked aspects of those, like some features where trust structures have been used to keep the number of shareholders below 50 so that they're subject to less scrutiny and regulatory arrangements. They're still possible, but they have become more challenging to implement I guess as well as PE, another interesting factor we're seeing is that a number of pension funds, sovereign wealth funds and family offices are emerging as key participants and even strategic players in public M&A. In Australia, we saw Super participating in bids for HealthScope and Navitas alongside BGH Capital. 
now I'm sure everyone else is thinking of doing the same thing. And in the UK, Bob, haven't you had the Canadian Pension Plan Investment Board join forces with Blackstone and others to bid for Merlin Entertainment? We're also seeing a merging of asset classes and blurring of lines between them. For example, as infrastructures got so competitive, we're seeing them move into areas that may have been more traditionally targeted by PE and shareholder activists, of course, moving into M&A as well. So it's all very fluid with many new participants. Yeah, I, and, and I think that fluidity and blurring of lines and, and the willingness to join forces means that we can expect to see even more um, public to private activity in 2020 given that financial buyers are now less concerned by the challenges associated with public deals and are instead more intent on seeking additional opportunities to deploy um, their dry powder. Okay, well, thank you, Rebecca, for joining me today. And thank you to you for listening. We hope you found it interesting. Please do visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com, where you can download the report and listen to the other podcasts in this series.